T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Welcome to Face Connecticut, an in-depth look at today's issues. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Face Connecticut on WTIC News Talk 1080, 96.5 TIC-FM and Light 100.5 WRCH. Aaron Kupek with you on this Sunday morning and we are pleased to be joined by John Lender. He is a former longtime reporter and editor at the Hartford Current. He wrote the popular Government Watch column. He took a buyout earlier this summer after the paper's parent company was acquired by a hedge fund, and he was inducted into the Connecticut Journalism Hall of Fame this summer. Good morning to you, John Lender. Hi, Aaron. First of all, I'm happy to be here. Tell us how difficult a decision it was to take that buyout. It was hard. I liked where I was. I liked doing the column, and there was still an awful lot to write about. But you know, it was a combination of how old I am. Uh, I've been there 48 years, um, almost, I mean, my, really my entire adult life and, um, things have not been, uh, you know, going well for newspapers in general. Uh, and, uh, the numbers of reporters have been dwindling and editors. And so they had this offer, you know, of a, uh, which amounted to what for me is a lot of money. And, um, it just seemed like, the time to do this, take the buyout, and then try to figure out what else to do, whether it's in the same line or not. Um, and I'm still in the process of doing that now. What is it, a month and a half later? As you mentioned, your career spanned 48 years at The Current. What were the highlights for you? Well, <laughs> there were some very uh, minor uh, stories at the beginning, but everything was a, was brand new, and it was just... Uh, you know, when you when you start something new, it's 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 a lot of fun. I was out in the Willimantic Bureau of the Hartford Current, which we used to have. Then we had a news bureau with uh, four or five reporters, um, uh, full time and and uh, and uh, part time. Actually, more than that, if you count people um, like me when I started, I was the twenty five cents a column inch. Uh, reporter for Chaplin and Lebanon where almost nothing ever happens. And uh, I made more money on my mileage, as a matter of fact, driving around in my car. Uh, and everything was new then. And um, uh, so it was just fun to run around uh, covering the you know, things that happened with police and fire. And then you know, it was an occasional plane crash. All this stuff is, is, is really uh, new and uh, interesting. And uh, then I got, I hooked on at the Willimantic Bureau. Uh, we, I remember uh, when Nixon resigned in 1974, 
uh, I went to this bar next door to our bureau to cover his speech um, uh, with these guys who, you know, were looking bemusedly and saying crazy things um, and interspersing with uh, with what Nixon was saying. And uh, Nixon would say something about losing his base of support. This next patron watching him would 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 say, um, you know, somebody just stole my car. And then Nixon said something else. And another guy said he doesn't even own a car. And that's how that story went. But I wanted to, it was a, it's kind of a dumb little story, but I wanted to be part of the event. And so, like I said, it was minor things like that, that were uh, to me a highlight, even to this day. Um, and then, you know, there've been, there've been big stories that, that happen. Uh, unfortunately, they're um, tragic. Um, I went down, uh, I think it was the 80s or 90s when uh, the uh, a restaurant exploded in Derby, Connecticut because of a gas leak. Spent a, a week there and then months following up on it and talking to the people down there. And uh, it's just always a race to get all the information you need for a story and try to get information that other people beat other. You know, there's a lot of competition, um, much more back in those days, before the decline in uh, the ranks of, uh, of reporters, there was the Mianus River Bridge collapse. Um, I lived the nearest uh, to Greenwich in Southington at the time. And so I got a call early in the morning to get down there and see what I could find. And uh, I ended up finding the, the father and son who were in a boat sleeping uh, in the, in, at the marina there. And... Uh, went out and got the husband and wife out of the cab of the truck that was filling up with water. Um, it was, there was, I don't know if you remember the image, but the, the truck, the, the cab was in the water and the back wheels were still up on the, the roadbed uh, on the top of the bridge. And, uh, and then there was, you know, I guess the biggest story I was ever on was the, uh, the Roland scandal. We've got a tip that some work had been done uh, by a state contractor on the governor's vacation cottage. And there were a lot of other uh, tangents uh, that, that, that took us on with regard to others in his administration. And um, one thing led to another. The, the FBI took notice. Uh, and then the legislature moved to impeach him, and then he resigned, and then he went to federal prison. And then years later, uh, he went to prison again for a different set of circumstances that uh so anyway you know he asked me what the highlights were those are some of them how does it feel to have a, a verb created in your honor lendered if people aren't <laughs> familiar is i th i think it was coined by ct capital report which is a news aggregation website and yeah describe for us what being lendered is <laughs> i guess tom dudchick uh the guy who runs ct capital report um started using that um when it's basically if somebody has something to hide i guess and then you do a story about it and it embarrasses them or make makes trouble for them um where to the point where um there could be consequences about it whether it's you know that they it doesn't have to reach the point where they have, might have to resign or, or get disciplined, but something like that, he would pull that out. And I was, uh, I was surprised to see it. It's become kind of a joke in my family, you know, 
<laughs> my name being used like that. But, uh, you know, I always took it as a, uh, a compliment that I was having some making people pay attention, doing things that were people thought were worth reading, I guess. Talk about your method. How would you go about uncovering government malfeasance? Was it tips? Was it curiosity? How did some of those most notable stories start out? Well, it's a combination of those things. Um, like the Roland thing uh, began with a, an anonymous phone call. Um, someone whose name I didn't, uh, whose voice, I mean, I didn't recognize and had a, said, you know, would I be interested in looking into some things about the governor? And I said, sure. Uh, and the person said, you know, here are some things to look into this contractor and did this work, um, and, uh, on, on the governor's house. And there were some other things, a member of his administration got some, uh, architectural drawings done for uh, an addition on his house. And so there were some things to run down. And what usually happens in cases like this where the people um, are don't want to give their names is that they want to see what you'll do with the information uh, that they give you. And so it was up to me. You know, it was agreed uh, that we would talk again in a few days, like, uh, and I would give the person a a report of what I what I'd been able to verify, and and that's how it went. And so that's one way I would work. And I'll, I'll tell you, any tip you get, uh, and you've probably found this in in your work also in journalism. Any tip you get, the story is is at its maximum with the tip that you get. And the more you look into it, uh, there's an inevitable eroding of the of the drama um, of, of of how compelling the, the facts are. To some degree, anyway, uh, but some stories, some tips hold up. And you know, with 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 the Roland matter, it wasn't as simple as it was first presented. But the basics were, the basics were there. Starting in Willimantic, covering local meetings, you get to know where stories are. People, you see people acting in a certain way that you know they have a public office, and they use the public office, say, to have a government agency buy a building they own that actually happened in Willimantic. Uh, and so you, you start to look for, you know, what are commonly called conflicts of interest. And, um, you know, you get to know people in, uh, every, every venue you're working, whether it's town, uh, uh, a town you're covering, or when you're covering state government, you get to know people, um, who work, in the legislature or who serve in the legislature and everybody has a story to tell you about somebody else. And, um, I mean, one of the, one of the facts of, of news is that, uh, grudges and vendettas kind of make the world go around and, and you have to like, listen to what people say, evaluate, um, from your experience and from what you know, if it could be true or not, and then just decide uh, whether it's worth following up. Uh, and and after a while, you know, if I needed a thing to write about um, for a Sunday, because uh, every week you got to, for 12 years, uh, I had to come up with um, something. And, you know, one, one column a week doesn't sound like that much. Um, I mean, I would also write, stories during the week sometimes but um after, you know I, did, I wanted to give people something that that a little beef you know 
uh, and uh, something that they wouldn't just think was was fluff. And so I I always tried to find um, find out things that that would be worthwhile. So after a while, you know, like there are certain like state pensions, right? Um, if you leave that topic alone for a while and then look to see who's just recently got a pension, who from the state legislature um, had been in the state legislature for 25 years uh, at a, at a salary, you know, of, of $40,000 at, at most. Right. And the a pension is the formula for it is you take the number of years and multiply it by a proportion of uh, a portion of their salary, and if you're um, if you're a, uh, a legislator making forty thousand, that doesn't amount to much. I mean, it might amount to a pension of twenty thousand at most a year, even if you were there for twenty five years. But if the governor, if you're one of the governor's preferred people, and the governor appoints you to be a commissioner making one hundred fifty thousand a year. Um, it used to be your final three years would be what you would apply all those years you built up at a at a cut rate in the legislature to. So now you'd be multiplying, you know, you'd be getting with the, with the multiple, you'd be getting fifty percent of one hundred fifty thousand uh, dollars if the, if you served there for three years. It's been modified so you now to get the full benefit you have to be there for five years. Uh, but but anyway, so you know. I started to call those the magic years. If you were the, one of the preferred ones and that kind of stuff. So, you know, where to look after a while for, uh, if you're, if you, there might be something interesting, uh, you get things told to you by people who, you know, that they're telling it to you because it's about an enemy and you have to, um, or an adversary or whatever. Um, you have to measure all that and be fair to the person who you're writing about and give them a chance to uh, defend themselves and see if there's any uh, counterbalancing information on your own, you know, that, that, that might make the, the information not worth writing about. So uh, that's a very long-winded answer. I'm sorry. And, and I hope, I hope uh, it, it's somewhat responsive to your question. It absolutely is. We are talking to John Lender, longtime reporter and editor at the Hartford Current. He took a buyout after 48 years at the paper. Talk a little about FOI law as a tool for journalists. The FOI law, the Freedom of Information law, is just, you know, the one of your basic tools. If you're a carpenter, you know, it's it's one of your basic tools, a saw. Or a hammer. I mean, it's your, 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 we, not just a reporter, any citizen is, is entitled to, uh, according to the law, to all public documents, every memo anybody in government writes, unless it falls under an exemption in the freedom of information law. You know, there's, there's some obvious reasons for excluding things like personal information. Um, everybody agreed at the formation of, of the, when, when they created the FOI law, which was, I think, in 1975, um, that, you know, if a person has a heart condition and, and they write to their boss and say, look, I have to have a heart operation, you know, I'm going to be out, that is exempt from public disclosure. And over the years, the list of exclusions that have been written into the law by the legislature have increased. But we still have a lot of access. I mean, like, you know, 
negotiations with regard to pending litigation is one of the overall um, one of the overall uh, exemptions. And the, the people in government try to apply that as as you know why, as broadly as they can. They they never want to give out any 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 more information about a controversial subject uh, than they than they can. And and so you know I would always be I wouldn't be asking for I would be asking for stuff like that. And you, you, the way you use it, the tool is you, you put in a, a, a written request, um, in email form now is, is, is acceptable. Uh, and actually you don't even have to put it in writing. It's not worth having that argument with officials. They say they need it in writing and the law says you can just be, I can ask for, I can ask for a document anyway, if they won't give it to you, if they don't give you a response, um, after four days, you can file a complaint with this commission, the Freedom of Information Commission, and they will hold a hearing. Uh, and then the, there'll be a hearing officer, who will, a lawyer who works for them on their staff, will, will listen to the um, arguments on both sides, will then prepare a, a recommended um, deci- decision that is up to the uh, Freedom of Information Commission to decide whether to adopt. And then there are appeal procedures. The person who's ordered to produce the information can appeal and go to the superior court, and that happens uh, sometimes in 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 big cases. But the the leverage, you know, there are a couple of things about using an FOI request, freedom of information request. One is they're on notice that you're serious about it, and you're not going to just they can't ignore you. Uh, you're not you're you're not going to go away. And the other thing, you have legal rights. If their refusal to give you the information, produce the information, uh, doesn't fall under legitimately under one of these exemptions, then the commission will order you order them to give it to you. If you win your case, you know, and you win some and you lose some. It it, it does work to your advantage as a reporter. Um, they don't like to be known. To, uh, people in power in, in in government offices don't like to be embarrassed by stories about how they're withholding information, you know, and there've been cases um, with the Lamont uh, administration that I could go into if you want me to. Well, that was my next question. How would you rate the current administration in terms of government transparency? I don't think they're very good. You know, I had one of the latter columns that I wrote was about um, an FOI request I I had made 13 months ago. And uh, it was, there was a commission that Governor Lamont appointed of people from outside of government to advise them on the reopening of Connecticut. It, it was in the spring of, of 2020 that he appointed it. And there was criticism as there, you know, has been of uh, moves by the administration uh, to create an education partnership. They, they did with a hedge fund billionaire um, called the Connecticut partnership. This uh, committee, uh, that was going to advise him on reopening things in Connecticut. They, the meetings and deliberations uh, by this group were, these groups were not open to the public. They, the, the public, the meetings weren't, uh, weren't open. Uh, you couldn't attend them uh, or listen in uh, on zoom or something like that. And there was criticism of that. And the press secretary for governor Lamont said, well, you know, the, all the communications that these people on the commission, the private people from Yale and from industry, um, 
all their emails with people from the governor's office, which there will be, you know, will be subject to FOI and you can, you can make an FOI request for them. And so I immediately did that. I think the Yankee Institute immediately did that. And months, you know, weeks went by. I said, what's going on? Well, we have so many apps. We have so many requests for information, including from your own newspaper. And you're just going to have to, it goes on into the stack and we'll get to it when we get to it. Well, 13 months went, I, I, I nagged them a couple of other times and they said, you know, there's just, there's, there's this big crush of, of FOI requests. We can only go so fast. Uh, and um, so 13 months later, I wrote a story that actually used a, a painting that the governor hangs on his wall. It's a well-known Norman Rockwell painting of a group of members of the public uh, standing in front of a government hearing table with an empty chair and it looking expectantly and it's called the right to know and the, it was a comment by rockwell during the vietnam war that the public wasn't being well served by uh, the government wasn't being told the full truth about vietnam and uh so anyway uh to my surprise it, it's the original norman rockwell that uh governor lamont who's a wealthy guy bought for a million bucks and he's he hangs on his wall as a, it symbolizes something. Um, and I just think it's ironic that he'll pay a million dollars personally for it, but his administration really expends barely a nickel's worth of effort to uphold the spirit of it. That's how I feel about it. And, um, and there are other, there are other examples too. I mean, there's a, a case going on right now with uh, my friend and colleague uh, Kevin Rennie, who's a columnist um, still for the for the current uh, on a weekly basis. He asked for uh, emails uh, that the governor's wife Anne Lamont sent to members of the administration, and there were email strings that included her communications with others, outsiders from government, like she is. She's not a member of the government. There's one one professor advisor who they they talk to in in the circle of of, of Lamont's people, um, and they had uh, some of them were withheld. Some of the emails were redacted so that names of corporations that might be considered for economic development grants uh, were were crossed out. And um, Rennie won his case with the FOI uh, because the, the claim by the administration that these were confidential because they were part of negotiations uh, with regard to economic development programs uh, was was shot down by them. Um, the argument was that these names, the exclusion is you don't have to give out names that were given in confidence by the companies with a, with a hope of getting economic development help. Well, these weren't negotiations. These companies, these were just communications by outsiders. And they're still, as of they lost the case a couple of months ago, and then they went back to the FOI commission a month later, just last month, um, and asked for reconsideration. They've lost that. So I'll be interested to see what they have the option of going to court. If they go to court, it'll stretch it out another year if they do that. I don't know what they're going to do. Um, and if they lose in court, they can always go to the state Supreme Court. So I just I think they could be more transparent, put it that way. John. In our final few moments, are we going to see your byline someplace else? Uh, you may. Um, I 
as you can tell, I I can't restrain myself when I talk about um, some of the some of these things like FOI and I may write something for free. All right, I, I I've been talking to people. You know, people are nice enough to reach out to me and talk about possibilities, and that's just where it stands right now. Um, as far as me returning to, you know, a regular column, I don't know. I could I could maybe see myself doing that if uh, if things worked out. I I just don't know, but I'll probably write something. Uh, maybe just on a sporadic basis. There are outlets who seem like they're interested in me doing that. He is John Lender, longtime reporter and editor at the Hartford Current. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Oh, well, thanks. Thanks very much for having me. Thanks for listening to Face Connecticut. I'm Aaron Kupek. Enjoy the balance of your weekend. Face Connecticut is a production of the News and Public Affairs Department of WTIC Radio. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 